0: Does God send terrible things like cancer, tragic accidents, death of loved ones into our lives to make us more like Jesus? Does God punish His children even with severe scourging? What are the discipline of God verses in Hebrews 12 really all about? Coming up, encouraging truth about the child training of our loving Heavenly Father, next on Daily in Christ. And a warm welcome to you once again here on the Daily in Christ podcast as I'm recording. It is very cold at the very beginning of February 2015. But the truth of God warms our hearts and it makes a great difference in our lives, dispelling the darkness. (laughs) Speaking of darkness, too often we Christians come up with, well, incorrect doctrine when we take verses in Hebrews out of context. And that has come up repeatedly throughout this series on the book of Hebrews. Would you believe that this particular episode is episode number 43, part 43 in our Hebrews, the glory of the new covenant uh, series? Hebrews is so rich. Hebrews is so critical and essential to understanding The exact way that God relates to us, not on the basis of our performance and failure, but on the basis of God's performance through his son, Jesus Christ, and his success. His success for us and his success with us. Yet, You would think, and and the purpose of the book of Hebrews was written to bring strong encouragement to our faith, strong encouragement to the reality of the new covenant and the finished work of Christ, and yet Christians pluck certain verses out of context and come up with wrong, scary ideas that really... Upend and contradict the full encouraging message of Hebrews. For instance, we talked about the scary verses in Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10 that seem to indicate that a Christian can lose their salvation. And I want to encourage you, if you didn't hear those episodes, uh, go back and listen to them. You can download them all at our website. Even the very first. Uh, episode of this series, we talked about those particular matters that Christians can get wrong. Another area where Christians tend to pull verses out of context and therefore depart from the meaning of the context of Hebrews happens in the verses we're going to be looking at today in Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, we'll be going Hebrews chapter 12 all the way through, Lord willing, verse 11. Now, we wrapped up our mini series uh, on the just shall live by faith by uh, studying the last, the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12. So a little bit of an overlap here. Remember context. What is Hebrews all about? Is it about you and your failure? No, it's about the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect son, perfect high priest, perfect intercessor, living a perfect life, obeying the Father perfectly, suffering perfectly, bleeding perfectly, sacrificing perfectly, dying perfectly, rising perfectly, ascending perfectly, now reigning perfectly at the Father's right hand, making perfect intercession for us. How in the world can you possibly improve perfect? You can't that's the strong place of hebrews that's the foundation of all of our christian life god is relating to us not on the basis of us and our performance mostly fail compared to his perfect righteousness he is relating to us on the basis of the lord jesus christ so We saw Hebrews 1 through 10, that theme of the perfect Savior and his perfect finished work. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, the just shall live by faith. People say, well, okay, what am I supposed to do? That's the key. The just shall live by faith. Remember what the reformers said. I love how they put this together. And I remind myself of this often. It is by God's grace alone through faith alone, in Christ alone. Let me say that again. By God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now you've got grace. It comes out of the heart of our loving Heavenly Father. Grace is the gift of God the Father in totally loving us, totally accepting us, and totally blessing us Not because we're so good and we earned it, but because he is that good and gives it. That's grace. So grace, it's grace alone. We receive the grace through faith alone, but it's not faith in faith. It's faith in Christ alone, who is all. So we come out of those faith verses, the just shall live by faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, we come into Hebrews chapter 12, first verse two verses, therefore, based on that, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who have corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of the spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, chastening seems to... To be, uh, I'm sorry, now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, for years I've heard messages uh, on these verses in Hebrews, and yet I don't recall anybody preaching or teaching a message on these verses in Hebrews chapter 12 without the critical context of Hebrews itself and the perfection of Christ and the perfection of his finished work. I've heard no one draw out those verses in the context of Hebrews chapter 11, which talks about faith. And so right there, we're going to have problems in our understanding of these verses, unless we snap our minds back and remember the critical context of Hebrews. And we have brought that out many, many times. Now, when you look at verses three and four, actually, before we get to verse three, uh, there's something here in verse two I want you to see. We've spent a number of episodes, uh, something like 11 or 12 of them, that we're talking on the subject, the just shall live by faith. There's a very important point that comes out right here in verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, The Hebrew word behind these words, author and finisher, has the concept of a leader who is also the source. So where does this faith come from? This faith in the just shall live by faith comes from the one who is the author, the leader, and the finisher, the source of our faith. He is the author of it. He is the source of our faith. It's extremely important to keep that in mind. And we're going to develop that thought in just a a little bit later in this particular uh, lesson. But let's look at verses 3 and 4. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Now remember, Hebrews, this should be obvious, right? Hebrews was written to Jews. And most of those Jews were saved, and most were facing severe persecution. Um, they were facing persecution from primarily from, from unsaved Jews. Uh, they were ejected from the temple. Uh, many of them were um, thrown out of their homes. Remember Saul? Uh, who became the apostle paul he was on that mission to destroy christians that gives you a picture of the kind of severe persecution that those jewish christians in the first century were facing they as it says in verse 3 now jesus there's a so he's speaking to jews jewish christians who are suffering persecution some of them are saying i don't understand this i lord i'm i'm endeavoring to walk with you. I believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I believe that he is the Savior. Why am I going through such terrible times? And part of the purpose of Hebrews, now it wasn't the central purpose, but one of the purposes was to bring a sense of context and encouragement to those who are facing those severe trials. And so the example that's brought up here is Jesus himself in verse three, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. He faced hostility from sinners. That's important. There were those, even at the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So keep that in mind. Jesus uh, isn't facing difficulty from cancer. He's not facing difficulty from tragic accidents. He's facing severe trial because of hostility from sinners. Verse 4, it says, you have not resisted bloodshed, striving against sin. Now, I've heard people take this verse, rip it out of context, and say that this is about striving against your own sin. No. Context, please. It says right there that Jesus endured such hostility from sinners. And so the striving against sin isn't strive. Jesus didn't have any sin. Right? But he strove against sin. The sin of sinners that were constantly impacting his life. All this is so important. Let's not create wrong doctrine by ripping verses out of context anywhere in the Bible, especially in the book of Hebrews. Verse 4 has absolutely nothing to do with you striving against your sin. In fact, you should never strive against your sin because if you do, you'll sin more. That's another message altogether. You're saying, Mark, where do you get that from? I encourage you to go to our website, and uh, I have a message there on Romans chapter 7. It talks about what the struggle verses of Romans chapter 7 really mean. I have it in article form and also in podcast form at dailyinchrist.org. This is not about you striving and struggling against your sin. It's about striving against persecuting sinners and the sin that they are committing against you like they did against Jesus. Proof. Beginning of verse 4, it says, You have not resisted to bloodshed. You know, Many Christians today in the world are facing severe persecution, even martyrdom. We've been hearing about this uh, group IS or ISIS, and around Easter in 2014, they were actually crucifying Christians. In fact, it could be argued that there are more Christians dying for their faith on the earth today than at any other time in the history of the church. And we need to remember them, we need to pray for them, and we need to support them. You see, because these Jewish Christians were facing such awful persecution, they were tempted to ask, Doesn't God love me anymore? Why am I going through this? Why am I going through this terrible trial? You see, that's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. It was to answer the question of the the Jewish Christian who is facing those hardships, those difficulties in the face of persecution, and bring encouragement that says, God loves you. You are his kids. He is taking care of your kids. Now, I'm not saying that there's no application to us in our trials and temptations. And we're going to get into that. There's a sort of a little bit of a parallel over in uh, James chapter 1. We'll get over into that in a few minutes. But th- the purpose of these verses in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 uh, through uh, what, 10, 11, right through there, is to bring encouragement to us that we, in fact, let me let the cat out of the bag a little bit here. Where you see chastise or chastening, rather, in these verses, it's the Greek word, which means child training. And that's what we're seeing here in uh, Hebrews chapter 12. It's the child training of a loving heavenly father. Now, I need to spend some time to go through common misconceptions uh, that are repeated over and over again. in these verses in hebrews chapter 12 and again the big reason why these misconceptions take place is because people rip it out of the context of hebrews and whenever you do that it's like taking a person's comment it's like misquoting them you're not telling the truth you're telling something that's not the truth Okay, now some Christians misuse these verses to prove text the notion that God is sending bad things into our life like cancer, tragic accidents, financial loss, etc. to teach us a lesson and make us more Christ-like. I remember hearing uh, a story uh, in the past year or so of some parents who went through the horrible tragedy of their little girl, about nine years old, I guess she had been swimming in a lake and and uh, some sort of a parasite or an amoeba went up through her nose into her brain and the girl died within two days. And the parents made some sort of a comment like, well, I guess God needed another flower in heaven or something like that and i just screamed i thought how dare you impugn god with that god didn't do it and amoeba did it (laughs) now i'm not saying that god isn't sovereign over all things but folks remember there is an enemy and jesus said he has come to steal kill and destroy sickness and disease are not from god and that is biblical truth, period. How do I, how can I be so emphatic about it? Simple. If sickness and disease and cancer and tragedy was a blessing from God, then if you go over to Deuteronomy chapter 28 that talks about the blessings and the curses, it would be in the blessing category. But guess what? Those things are not in the blessing category. They're in the curses Category. Those things are not from God. Where are they from? Well, they're from sometimes our own stupidity, or maybe the stupidity of someone else. They're from the devil. They're also from this broken, fallen, sinful world. Jesus faced it. He faced hostility, not from God the Father. God the Father didn't send those sinners his way. No, he faced hostility from the sinners. Now, I'm not saying if you are dealing with cancer today, or if you're dealing with some sort of severe difficulty and trial, and friend, I have gone through them. I am not saying to you necessarily that you have done anything wrong. But I want you to stop blaming God for those things because they didn't come from God. In fact God's heart is healing. God's heart is restoration. God's heart is protection. Will that always happen in every circumstance? No. But oftentimes God is working his great sovereign wonderful will together. I mean remember Joseph with his brothers, right? They they uh sold him into slavery and uh, betrayed him to their father saying that that he had died. In the end of the matter, you can read about this at the end of the book of Genesis. They Jesus or rather Joseph said to his brothers, "You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many." Now, this does not mean what I'm saying that you will have a trouble-free life. But I am saying, the Bible says, it doesn't matter what I say, the Bible says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that is in the midst of incredible difficulties. You know, it says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, we are... uh, counted killed all the day long we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter that's in Romans eight thirty six. yet in verse 37 it says this yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us that's the point we are more than conquerors through him who loved us Okay, let's uh, continue on. So I think we pretty much blew out of the water misconception number one that God is sending bad things into our life to teach us a lesson and make us more Christ like. I will say this when we encounter difficulty, and, and this theme will come out stronger, especially as we take a little trip over to James, when we go through difficulty, our faith is uh, exercised, it, it gets a workout. And again, we'll get into that more a little bit later. Okay, so I told you that this concept of, uh, you know, does God send these things into people's lives? Reason number one, it disregards all of Hebrews, the finished work of Christ, that he took all the punishment, that the curses fell on him, that we would be blessed. That's in also Galatians 3 13 to 14 reason number two it completely ignores what these verses are talking about and we've already dealt with that reason number three there is a mistranslation of verse six and my version does the mistranslation let me go ahead and and bring this out For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Scourges every son whom he receives. What is scourging? Scourging is the practice of taking a leather whip and embedding in that leather whip sharp metal or maybe pieces of glass. And they would take this thing called a flagellum and they would whip the uh, punishment victim and those tongs of the flagellum would wrap around their torso and they would yank back and it would literally shred the skin that is what jesus went through he was scourged so does our heavenly father scourge us no first of all did the heavenly father scourge jesus no no Roman soldiers did that. Was it right? No, it was sin. It was wrong. But let's let's get into this a little bit because this is important. Verse 6 actually doesn't say that God scourges every son whom he receives. I mean, what if you heard of your neighbor taking a flagellum and ripping apart the skin in the back of his son or daughter? You would call the police, man you'd be on the phone nine one one. What gives us the notion or idea that God does something so outrageous? Of course not. I mean, common sense should tell us this. Do you know that Hebrews 12, 6 is a quote of Proverbs 11, 12? And here is Proverbs 3, 11 through 12. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects now that's the point where there's a different word that appears in hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 in the original in proverbs three twelve, it says whom he corrects not scourges just as a father the son in whom he delights now notice in verse 12 That word that is mistranslated scourges is sandwiched between for whom the Lord loves and just as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now, right there in context, you know there's something wrong. Are you saying, Mark, the Bible has got something wrong? No, but remember that the Bible was not originally written in English. The Bible was originally written in the Old Testament, in Hebrew and Aramaic, and in the New Testament in Koine Greek. We are translating over into English. English was not the inspired language of the Bible. The original autographs were, again, written in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. Now, there's a very fine point that gets into this. And um, again, context will give us a clue that something is going on. And when we get into the linguistics of this thing, you're really going to see where the real uh, sticking point is. Again, notice the tone of a loving father that we see here in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 through 12. And throughout these verses, In Hebrews chapter 12, verses three through 11, a loving heavenly father. Verse five says, and you have forgotten the exhortation, which speaks to you as to sons. Verse six, a, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens. And then over in seven, it says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. I'd like to uh, read a bit from, uh, a gentleman who is uh, not only a pastor and and a great teacher of God's word, but he is a professor of linguistics. So this guy has a PhD in the study of languages. I think the guy knows a thing or two about languages. And he's commenting, this is in his book, this is Andrew Farley, in his book, God Without Religion. And he talks about the mistranslation of the word Translated scourges here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6. He writes, Wait, rewind, scourges. That the act of beating someone on the back with a long strip of leather that has shards of sharp metal embedded in it. The metal digs into the person's back and leaves open wounds that can, if left untreated, kill a person. This is precisely what the Roman soldiers did to Jesus before he was taken to the cross to be crucified. If you've seen Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ, you know exactly how to picture it. This is not what most parents of the day did to their disobedient children. After all, it could kill them. Is this how God treats us as his children? First, it's important to note that the phrase "and he scourges every son whom he receives," Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6, was added to the Proverbs 3:12 quote. It does not appear in the Old Testament passage. Even more interesting, there's a Hebrew term "bigaret" that can mean to scourge or to inquire into. And the inquire meaning is older than the scourge meaning, as the scourging weapon was invented much later. Is it possible that Hebrews was originally written in Hebrew and that bigoret, also meaning to inquire into, originally appeared in this controversial verse? The early church scholar Clement, uh, around the years 150-215 to and others, believe that Hebrews was written in Hebrew and later translated into Greek. Interestingly, more than 150 words used in Hebrews do not appear in any other epistles. In fact, some expressions aren't found in biblical or classical Greek at all. On top of that, the epistles' literary characteristics mirror Hebrew poetry at times. So either Hebrews as a whole or just the altered Old Testament quote in verse six may have been written in Hebrew and later translated to Greek. That would mean that the original author used the Hebrew word bigoret, which means to inquire into. So there is both historical and literary evidence that the epistle or just the altered Old Testament quote may have been written in Hebrew and later mistranslated using the expression scourge. That's the Greek word mastiguo. I hope you can follow that. Uh, and that is that the idea that the book of Hebrews may, when it was originally written as a teaching epistle, sort of like a, a, a sermon, may have been originally written Written in Hebrew because it was addressed to Jewish Christians, and then it was translated to the common literary language of the day of the Old, of the New Testament, Koine Greek, and it could very well have been that going from the Hebrew bigaret, which means to inquire into, to the Greek, which became scourge, may be where the gap is. Some have commented that the Roman soldiers uh, took the idea of inquire into, which what that means is to to get into, you know, as, as a parent, when your child does something wrong, you should be thinking, why has my child, you should be inquiring into, why has my child done this? Sometimes we can react superficially instead of inquiring into and finding out, well, what was it that precipitated this wrong behavior on the part of my child? Well, the Roman soldiers took that idea and says, yeah, that's right. We're going to inquire into them as to why they did this stuff, and we're going to dig deep with our flagellum. Can you see how this would get lost? And even if there wasn't all of this talk, and I greatly respect what andrew farley is saying here and again that comes from his excellent book god without religion even if you didn't have that um, important linguistic insight still take it in context hebrews chapter 12 is about our loving heavenly father and furthermore the idea of chastening means child training literally that's what it means Finally, and we'll need to move on, the concept of scourge in this fashion completely violates the context of Hebrews. Who was punished? Who was chastised for our iniquities? The Lord Jesus Christ Himself, because He was punished. You, my friend, do not have to take the punishment. Now, I'm not saying that there isn't earthly or temporal consequences for the wrong that we've done in our lives. Sin is bad, and it produces bad effects. It hurts people. It disrupts life, and we may be dealing with the uh, natural consequences of our sin, but it isn't God punishing us. In fact, listen to me. God will never punish you. All of that punishment was released and satisfied on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have all of Hebrews, to back that up. Okay, so what's it all about? Well, these verses are about the need of a loving father to bring correction in the life of his child. Now, do we like going the wrong way? Well, of course not. You know, going the wrong way wastes time. It wastes resources and energy. Going the wrong way hurts us. It could even kill us. I remember many years ago we were walking in Ricketts Glen which is a beautiful series of waterfalls that go down the mountains of northeastern Pennsylvania and uh, we were there I think it was probably March and it was still cold and there were places where there was patches of snow and ice and so There had been a lot of wet ground and we were, you start at a lake at the top and then follow a trail that goes down and you pass a series of waterfalls that go down. It's beautiful, Ricketts Glen. Um, But there's one particular place where we went and it was kind of hard to make out where the path was because... Uh, there had been a lot of rain and it had kind of washed away portions of the trail and it was hard to make out what's the trail (laughs) and what's something that looks like a trail that really isn't the trail. Anyway, long story short, what happened to us was we had veered off the trail unknowingly and uh, we were pushing through some brush and ready to take one more step and suddenly (gasps) stopped. We were at the brink of, of a 90 foot waterfall <laughs> had we taken one more step we would have fallen nine stories to rocks below i don't think we would have lived to have to have done that now our immediate reaction was like oh my you know and thanking god for his protection but we we're also thinking boy you know it would be nice if someone would have been able to tell us hey don't go there don't take that step you see we needed correction, right? Because we were going the wrong way and we could have had a fatal outcome. Correction is needed. None of us are perfect. All of us are learning. It's easy to be going along our way and and, and, and go the wrong way. We are, and a child lives in a world that is driven by Satan, a world system that is driven by Satan. And the flow of everything is opposite God. And so the need for loving correction in the life of a child is something that indeed a loving parent does. Now, there's another problem that we have with the idea of correcting children. And that is there seems to be a bias today on parents being parents and parents doing their job of uh, raising their children, even disciplining their children so that they learn right from wrong and they also understand how to walk in this world. Uh, when I was a child, for instance, growing up <laughs> a long time ago now, I remember uh, that it seemed like every mother on our block was like a surrogate mother. You know, She always kept an eye out for us kids whether they were her kids or somebody else's kids. And if we did something wrong, and one of those moms saw it, we heard about it. Or worse yet, our mothers would have heard about it. But today, if an adult gives a corrective word to a child that is not their own, the parent is offended. Now, we shouldn't be rude, okay? But I remember as a kid, Adults, if you did something wrong, invariably they would tell you, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. Um, Today, the parent is offended. And I guarantee you that reaction of parents taking offense when someone gives that corrective word to a child that may not be their own, that didn't happen through thousands of years of child rearing. So, why do we do this? Why do we as a society kind of. look down at correction well on one hand society has overblown the child the problem of child abuse which is a real problem to the point where parents good parents that need to correct their child are afraid of correcting their child even painfully lest they be accused of child abuse so we live in a culture here in america it may not be in other places as bad. It's bad here in America, where the idea of correction, even correction that may be a bit painful for the moment, uh, is frowned upon. And I think that affects our whole notion of encountering these verses in hebrews where our reaction when we see this sense of correction of ooh, it's something painful it's something that hurts yes it does say that uh, it it did hurt for a little while but that pain is not necessarily the pain of punishment sometimes when we're with our kids we're going to tell them look you need to get to bed And the child may not like that because they're playing their favorite video game or whatever and they don't want to go to bed. Or it's a little bit painful when we got to get them up at uh, 6 or 6.30 in the morning because they have to get get dressed and get ready to catch a school bus. There are things that even in our own lives as adults that we don't necessarily enjoy. Yeah, the alarm goes off and I may not feel like getting out of bed. It might be a little painful, but I need to do it. It's good. And so that's an important setup, and we're going to have to uh, wrap it up for today. We pretty much dealt with the misconceptions of what these verses are talking about in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 12. It is not the idea of a, of a parent who beats their child, this is the idea again of the child loving child training of a loving heavenly father and next time we're going to be getting into this idea of the trying of our faith we're going to reach over into James chapter 1 some excellent verses that really talk about this dynamic and it flows so well with uh the faith chapter in Hebrews Hebrews chapter 11 so Join us next time for Daily in Christ as we continue taking a look at this idea of God as our loving heavenly father who really does care for his children and wants to guide them and yes, even correct us because he is training us. Let's pray. Father, I just think about how awesome it is that we can call you father And I think of what it says in 1 John chapter 3 Behold, what manner of love is this that we should be called the children of God? And that is what we are. God, in your highest expression of love, all that you did through Jesus in our great salvation and redemption was to bring us into your family, to bring us in as your kids, as your children, even as joint heirs with the Son the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, what love. Such great and awesome love that you call us your children and that we can call you our Father. And Father, I'm so thankful that you love us so much that you don't want to see us meandering down the wrong way, down the wrong path, and going through needless hurt and needless pain and needless difficulty. Thank you, Lord, that you train us, that you challenge us at times uh, by faith. Lord, help us to have a clearer view of your truth, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.